Hey y'all, hope you had a good break and thank you for coming back to hear the second part of our coverage of Season 4, Episode 1, Lazarus Rising. Get ready for another hour of content with some of our favorite segments. Thanks again for tuning in. So let's go ahead and talk about this fight scene that Sam has in the diner. He goes back after like sneaking out and Dean goes his separate direction with Bobby and everything, but he's, he's going to try and deal with the demons. Cause he was a little bit more concerned about those. I do think they did a good job with the real effects here. I do like that the eyeless demon just like goes for it. Oh yeah, totally. It, and I mean, it's just as gross, but also not realistic, but also still fun and cool as with Pamela, I think. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's it's fun to have the stakes raised again like that. Like, oh man, like even these demons are getting real fucked up by whatever this thing is. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely like some good, they were really setting up Castiel like before his actual scene. So first you're like, oh, it's an angel. And then you're like, you already have all these preconceived notions about angels. But then now we're here like, it's an angel, but it's dangerous. Have they explicitly said that it's an angel yet? No. No. They don't say that he's an angel until the end. And he's the one who says it. Okay. So there's sort of this like mystery about what he could be, which I find very like funny considering how learned Bobby is. Um, I would, I would feel like he might recognize it as like an angelic name, but I'm 100% willing to hand wave it because I think like just the buildup to all of it is very, very cool. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially like in the ways it kind of emulates like big monster narratives just in general, like your classic monster movie shit where there's like this emphasis on like this extreme power that you can't really do anything about. And props to these two actresses because, like, seriously, they sold it. I think that's part of why Cass is so fucking terrifying here. Right, right, yeah. Because of their uh, reactions before, mm-hmm. yeah. The the waitress lady in particular, uh, played by yeah. Jen Haley, as I previously mentioned, yeah, she was very good. What did you think, Jordan, of the fact that Sam is using spooky hell powers? Uh, I was so excited. I bet. (laughs) All those times you were like, I just want Sam to like be kind of evil as a treat. I was like, girl, you are going to like where this is going. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not going to go too in depth about it because a lot of it goes is going to go into my uh, predictions Mm. part of this episode. But I did feel like a big sigh of relief that they're finally like doing it. Right, right. Yeah, after all this buildup of like, what if Sam used his powers? Well, what if? (laughs) (laughs) I just really hope they give it to us. Like, I want Sam to be pulled back from the brink of Mm -hmm. being evil rather Mm -hmm. than like a, oh, but it's Sam. He hasn't been evil all along type of thing. Right. We'll see. Yeah, we will. We will see. I really like the timing of him being evil too, because I think it sets up a good parallel of being like, are angels completely fucking evil in this universe? And then at the same time, like are demon gifts evil as well? Like it's, it's a good time of like questioning what we assume um, based on our context. 
Definitely. And I think given the whole scene and the dialogue between uh, Sam and Ruby is sort of skirting around this, like, how do I talk about this? I know I'm doing more good than bad, but it's still weird. And then to like put that next to the way like they position Sam when he's uh, exercising the demon or whatever, like uh, like physically the way they position him. Like he's got this like Darth Vader force choke kind of vibe going on real hard, which definitely I think is helped by the previous Star Wars reference um, to Wedge Antilles. Mm-hmm. But it's like they're giving you all of the visual cues that this is bad. Like it's dark in there. He looks kind of like spooky himself um there's all this red lighting they're never fully in light or in shadow when like sam and ruby are talking but like he makes a good point i think despite all of these cues that we're being fed true and i'm like lean into it sam if you got it flaunt it (laughs) like lean into those little evil powers you do it you silently exercise demons without your 50 words of latin or whatever yeah I am obsessed with like the scorched earth when they're exercised too. Like just watching like the earth kind of like crumble into dust is so satisfying each time. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I actually, um, on top of that, I really love that there's like this visual difference in the representation of the demons being exercised this way versus like the way they escape from the body when they do it willingly, like this sort of choking and like vomiting really up of like a demonic poison almost. I think it's very, very fun. And I think the way it kind of spills around like the actual digital effects that they use there look really good. I agree. I like that it goes from yarding to yaming. (laughs) Yaming? (laughs) (laughs) Is that an actual word? I'm just saying things. Okay. Because I feel like (laughs) packing yams or something, like, isn't that actually like a vomiting thing? I might just be making shit up. (laughs) Yaming honestly sounds like a word Gwyneth Paltrow would invent. Oh my fucking God. Yeah. And it would be about like, I don't know, making your coochie taste better. Yeah. Yeah, Gotta get that proper yam pH. Jesus Christ. Okay. So here is when we officially find out Ruby exists, right? Yeah. Okay. I have very mixed feelings here because the actress that they cast for Ruby is beautiful. I'm sure she's incredibly talented and I just, I just need time to really evaluate if I like her. But what I do miss is that, um, was her name Katie Cassidy who played Ruby last season? Yep. Like, there's something very aesthetically interesting about her. Uh, so, okay, I'm going to try and say that. So, Katie Cassidy, the way she plays Ruby, Ruby is very strong and intimidating. And the way Cassidy looks, because she's kind of tall and, like, she's skinny, but she's not, like, skinny, you know? She's, like, very, like, lean. And, like, she looks imposing next to the boys. Mm -hmm. And I have to wonder if this casting... Because here we're seeing Ruby kind of take on a different role of like a teacher and kind of like hiding in the shadows a little more like, you know, Dean doesn't know she's exists Mm -hmm. and is helping Sam. I'm just kind of curious with like what their direction was with casting this actress as Ruby. So I think I get what you're saying, like that maybe they cast someone who's a little more petite and gentle looking on purpose to reflect like a change in her 
role or dynamic. I'm curious right? to see if that's the case. Yes. Okay. Okay. That. Okay. Yeah. And, and that I miss old Ruby. Yeah. <laughs> Katie Cassidy was very good. Um, I'm hoping that Genevieve Cortese or Genevieve Padalecki, since that's her name now, um, will grow on you because I think she's stellar as Ruby. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. Like, honestly, as much as I like Katie Cassidy in season three, when I think of Ruby, I, I think of season four, oh, not season three. I, I think I think you'll come to like her. I hope you will. I, anyway, I think she's very good. And I think yeah. it helps that, I mean, obviously they have very good chemistry. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. Um, and like that gets played up a lot. But I do think it's interesting that you mentioned that because something that I made note of is that Ruby is immediately like a lot less antagonistic than she was in season three. Like there's all this stuff about like, basically she's therapizing him a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) But, and then on top of that, she's like, oh, you know, like I don't, your brother and I don't get along, but I'm not going to come between you. And which is very like, it's not that it's counter to her previous attitudes, but it is much, much less severe. So it, yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up because I hadn't even thought of that as um, maybe a reason, but she is a little bit more, you know, she's petite and doe-eyed and yeah, pretty. Not that Katie Cassidy isn't pretty, but you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I think that brings up a cool question too about like like I know I annoyed you guys when I was like do you inherit the body stats but like you know how you have different personalities and different when you speak different languages oh yeah code switching yeah and like you might not even know it but you'll have different personalities so I wonder like could it be in this universe like if you inherit a different body you might have slightly different personality like same person and goals but like different traits that come yeah forward. yeah that's interesting to think about I guess because like I mean even if you're not thinking about like a, a nurture uh, mm-hmm. aspect of someone's personality nature does play a big role in how people behave like just in terms of like brain chemistry for example um conditions in the womb mm-hmm. things like that so yeah 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 I mean it's something to wonder about <laughs> that's something I would love to see explored in fiction maybe not in fan fiction for supernatural <laughs> but just fiction in general interesting concepts always mm-hmm. floating around on OTRS <laughs> <laughs> But I will say I am just very happy to see Ruby. I'm glad she's back. She's a very compelling character. So, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, she's totally, totally cool. Never stops being cool, in my opinion. Truly. Perpetually awesome. I, I know I was like talking about how starting season four, you're going to be hearing me flip out about Cass all the time. But like, get ready for me to be flipping out about Ruby literally all the time as well. <laughs> Also, I know I already said this, but the lighting in this scene is amazing. I'm just so obsessed with it. The red, the red, mm-hmm. you guys, it's so red. It's so red. They really backlight Ruby too yeah. when she comes in. I love how she sort of drifts in through that kitchen door. Yeah, I love how much more intentional this is compared to like when we were on season one and we're like gray everything. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. This is the kind of shit I was talking about. Like, it is dim and, like, mm-hmm. most of the room is super gray or whatever. Like, if you yeah. didn't have the red light, it would be very, like, low contrast and washed mm-hmm. out feeling. But it's appropriate for the tone and, like, the setting and 
you know, everything that's going on. So like it makes a big fucking difference. Yeah. I don't know. And then also like there is an element of horror in the beginning of this episode when Dean comes up out of the earth and it's super fucking bright. It doesn't need to be grayscale. In fact, I think being grayscale would defeat the undercurrent of um, discomfort there. Like the brightness makes it much more disorienting and uncomfortable. So anyway, I'm glad they grew out of their, their weird grayscale thing that they had to do in season one for some fucking reason. Yeah, and like that's the thing. It can be intentionally used so effectively, but it was just like slap it on. Right, exactly. So I think it kind of makes what's kind of interesting is it kind of makes sense for Sam to have started like getting into his demon powers, especially if it was possibly a way to possibly bring Dean back to life. But here we have like him specifically state that he knows Dean is not going to approve of him using his demon powers. And I don't know, it was just kind of a a little exciting to think about where this is going. And also, I had talked about that I was going to be disappointed if Dean came back a little bit because we didn't get what was going to be going on with Sam. Like that was an opportunity for him to grow. But we are getting things throughout this episode about him and what he was doing in these few months mm-hmm. that Dean was dead. Mm-hmm. And that those things are going to continue with or without Dean. Like he has found things for himself and it might be slaying things with demon magic. I don't know. Yeah, I I love that you bring that up too, because like earlier we were talking about how there isn't as much of a need to see what he was doing because of uh, the episode, The Mystery Spot. So we kind of know what he was doing a little bit while Dean was gone. But like this addition of the fact that he's honed this like demonic power and that Ruby is helping him with it is like something on top of that, that we get to learn that I think is like vital to this episode and making it feel like the narrative gives a shit at all about Sam. Like if this, if, if this bit had not been in here, I'd be like, well, here we go. Same old, same old, like it's the Dean show again, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) So we need to talk about Dean and Bobby. Yeah, I think for the rest of the episode, it is all Dean, Bobby, and finally Castiel. I love how Bobby has reservations about not telling Sam, like, like he's obviously the parental figure as always, but he's also like, like, are we really going to repeat this process of secrets? Yeah, well, and in that way, he's also sort of mirroring how Ruby is in the conversation with Sam in the diner, where you know, just like, gonna need to say something about this. Sam's just like, nope. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know Bobby and Ruby don't like each other. Right. But I think they're both relatively practical, though. They would be such a fun team. If you could get them on the same side about something, they'd be so like, no nonsense, straight shooting. Right. It's like we were talking about in Sin City in season three, when they were having to have that car ride over to like, Uh, that Ohio town like what what was that like I want to (laughs) know for real a great duo we need more of absolutely yeah gosh there's just so much like in this last couple of scenes I don't even know where to start okay here I'll start us off so we get to this barn and it just looks like you know whatever a barn I love how they set up the ambiance right outside like there's the moon in the background 
And you go in and the whole thing has just been totally covered with all these different religious and cult symbols, anything they can think of. This is like a pre-prepared Bobby hideout spot. Can you imagine being the farmer who finds this the next day? Or even like before that, though, Mm -hmm. because like the implication in the scene is that Bobby had this place just like in advance, like way in advance. Like, can you imagine someone stumbling in on it and being like, what the fuck? (laughs) He would be terrifying. Not to an angel, though, because none of it works on him, which was really cool. Tell me, I want to hear your impressions of that because, like, this is definitely the most impactful character introduction in the entire series, I think. And a lot of people have a lot of opinions about it. So I want to know what you thought. I'm trying to quantify exactly how I feel. For, I'm just going to start with the obvious, like, just the physical of what's going on. Like, so they do the summoning. He shows up. I do like that Dean and Bobby approach this like he was a monster because they didn't know what to do and just go on attack. Because using these rituals in the past have only been used to summon demons. I think all of the things not working, the rock salt, Ruby's knife, the devil's trap was really cool. And then I bet a lot of people probably did not like the flash of light with the wings appearing in the shadows. Um, I actually kind of liked it because like, I don't know, this is a campy show. Like, can be lighting effects i think that's part of the gig you know oh absolutely i mean the best part which i'm saving is the dialogue though the dialogue is what i really loved about this scene oh for sure yeah but i didn't know if we wanted to save that yeah let's let's just talk about the things going on before we talk about the dialogue because the dialogue has so much (laughs) there's so much to (laughs) unpack there I'm really interested in the summoning spell that they do because they're not entirely sure what they're summoning. So my impression is that actually maybe it didn't work because Cass has been trying to get in touch with Dean repeatedly throughout this episode. So I think he probably just followed them there. (laughs) That makes sense. (laughs) And I've never like talked to anyone about that before. I just wondered like if like what you guys thought about that. I don't know. I'm kind of mixed because on one hand, like, I'm guessing that they use a way to summon him that is typically used to summon demons. And that just would not work. But also, they had to use conduits to try and reach him earlier. Mm -hmm. So it kind of makes sense that there would have to be some kind of conduit again to bring him in. Mm -hmm. Maybe he was like, almost there. And this was finally what let him like, you know, kind of touch in. But I kind of took it the same, like, Also, we saw them doing so much prep that to me, I just kind of assumed like they were trying things until something worked. Yeah. (laughs) Poor little dudes. Yeah. Also, I gotta say, like, I love how severely freaked out they are. (laughs) Mm. And it's like, fair. There's so many loud noises going on. I wouldn't have liked that. TBH. I don't know how closely y'all looked, but you can see like sort of the tin flaps on the the roof or like the ceiling of the barn uh, going up and down. And it gives it such like a, like, yeah, like you were saying about the shadow of the wings, Jordan, just like a kind of a campy vibe, but I actually think it works really well. I don't know. I love it. I just think it's so fun. And then like the sparks flying from the uh, broken bulbs and everything. 
I just love it a lot. I, I just think it's so fun. I love how too he has so many like natural responses like it's it's more about like the wind and the electromagnetical like because we've seen demons who like look dark and their eyes change but this is just a whole nother level of like what the actual fuck is happening yeah he's a literal force of nature yeah truly and then when you compare that with little old He's, he's not actually very little, but, you know, just normal ass looking Misha Collins in a suit, <laughs> <laughs> having a, a bland expression on his face, just like, so <laughs> it's so fun. I love a freaky little alien man. I did really like that. It does feel like they were trying to go for like a guy who looks kind of plain mm-hmm. and to just have him like you're expecting like this big grand celestial being is just like some guy yeah (laughs) he's just some guy yeah holy tax accountant or whatever Mm -hmm. it was definitely fun there's so much going on like with his face too like i know i remarked upon him having a bland expression but even then like it isn't really there's so much going on on his face from like serene like no problem dude you're welcome for getting you out of hell to like (laughs) bored amusement and just very straightforward confusion and all sorts of stuff. And, you know, the, the lack of uh, the personal boundaries and everything, it just, the mix of it all just is so good. I like, there's nothing as fun to me as like a severely outsider character. Absolutely. I do have to also, we were talking about facial expressions, give props to Dean's facial expressions, the whole, like, what the hell, shifty eyes. Oh like, my gosh. His wing raises where he's just like, what the fuck? Right, <laughs> so right, right. Fun. Yeah, and his morphing expressions between, like, fear and awe and confusion and, like, disbelief, mm-hmm. even a little bit of resentment, maybe. Like, there's so much going on. I just... I just love this scene a lot. I just love it a lot. And so many like emotions we haven't seen from Dean so much before. Like, I think that's why it stands out so well. Uh, Like how great a job he did because we're not used to this terrified little baby Dean. No, 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 definitely not. And I think it helps that he's alone with Cassiel in this scene. Like he's way more likely to put on some kind of a mask or a front um, if someone is paying attention to him. But, like, the way his face changes when he's, like, not in my experience, like, there's just so much happening on there. It hurts me. Yeah. This whole episode was a really good character study of Dean. And then, like, here, now we're like, okay, we've been building it up this episode, and here we're going to talk about it. Let's Yeah, let's talk about the dialogue here. Mm-hmm. Well, the first thing is they just met, and they're already talking about gripping each other. <laughs> sparks flying they were just like really close for one they just immediately got in each other's face oh yeah when i rewatched this i was telling my fiance i was like i did not remember how fucking sexual it is like from the start oh yeah yeah and this isn't even taking into account any of like the subtextual messaging throughout the episode about gender and sexuality Mm -hmm. like this is just this scene and their body language 
between the two of them. Like, I don't know what's going on there, but. (laughs) I haven't seen like this much sex, like sexual tension with Dane since Hendrickson, but it's like even more. Yeah, because yeah. that was like kind of like a coy, like you know, what do you got going on under there? This is like, what's Castiel up? Just, yeah, it just Castiel felt like he wanted to rip his clothes off. <laughs> it was very shocking. Yeah, yeah. Um, I talk about this in my essay quite a bit because I compare him to like a classic Count Dracula in this episode in particular I wouldn't say necessarily in other episodes but that's the thing with this kind of big theatrical monster is that generally they're representative of like primal force which includes sexual force Mm -hmm. and that definitely comes through here I'm going to pretend for a moment that the writers of this episode were not wanting any type of sexual tension to come off in this scene. Like there's a hundred ways to show power without them being so close, like breathing into each other's mouths. And like, like, <laughs> like literally they could have played with height differences. They could have played mm-hmm. with camera. Like literally all you had to do was only show close-ups of Dean's face and have the camera from like the waist up on cast with him standing mm-hmm. far away and you would have had a feeling of power just through camera angles like you didn't need them to like literally to have cast physically standing over him in like an empowering way it's just it's very interesting yeah and uh you know i don't i don't consume a lot of behind the scenes content or anything but i i do have to wonder how much of that was like individual acting decisions on you know their parts or like direction going on i do know that apparently eric kripke was like immediately super into misha so i don't know how much that fed into it but yeah, there is a lot going on here. Not even to speak of stabbing as a proxy for the sexually penetrative act. So it's Ooh. also funny because like the like this episode, we get the first time we see Jared with his future wife. And like they totally have chemistry, but like it doesn't even compare to the said scene. Yeah, I think part of that though is the like nature of this character introduction being something that is you know built up to and like it has a lot of pent-up energy by the time you get to it um whereas you know ruby is a character we already know and then on top of that you know she's slinking in from the shadows it's just a little it's just different but i totally see what you're saying and yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I just find it funny. Like imagine meeting your future spouse and like your episode, first episode with them is overshadowed by this maybe unintentional couple. Right, right. Some of the other smaller dialogue really makes me laugh. Like uh, this little tidbit kind of felt like flirting, like the way like um, maybe like high schoolers would flirt or something when Cass is like, yeah, I've been like sonic booming you. But it's because, like, I thought you would be a special person who could hear angel voices. But um, you're just, like, a regular person. Like, that type of, like, degrading flirting. It felt very, like, catty and flirty. Right. Just like, the whole dialogue. Yeah, exactly. I do also like he has all, like, these little micro frowns and, like, allowances. Like, he's, like, 
oh yeah, you know, that was my mistake. And like, yeah, I didn't mean to like blow up Pamela's eyeballs and like all this stuff. (laughs) (laughs) He's very um, like capitulating, I guess, given the context of everything. Also, I just find it so funny that he immediately is just like going through their shit on the table. He's like looking through Bobby's little book or whatever. He's just like, what's all this shit? (laughs) (laughs) It's so fun. I think like he, you know, despite all of the other stuff going on, like there's also like an immediate sense of curiosity and naivete that comes with him like he's so astonished by things uh that dean is saying and you know obviously curious about like the materials that they've been using and it's just all these little details that really make the characters shine so well um not just the the big impactful entrance the the big fuck you (laughs) storming into the barn moment (laughs) Something that's kind of interesting, they talk a little bit about, is Steve the, the name of the person he's possessing? Uh, no, it's, it's Jimmy. Jim, that's right, Jim. They don't say his name in, in this episode, um, but they do, they do later. Oh, okay. Well, they're like, it's a very devout man. I just think it's interesting that the possession of demons and angels are very similar in this world. And it just seems like something kind of interesting to note, because I can tell we're going to also get some evil angels at some point, and I'm very excited mm-hmm. about that, too. Yes, 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 yes. Gotta, you know, we gotta explore those gray areas. What is, love... the, what is the difference between good and evil, Jordan? Exactly. Also just love a good biblical fairy tale. Why not? True. Yeah, oh yeah, no, totally. When I say Christian mythology, I'm not fucking around. <laughs> <laughs> Do we still want to talk about some of like this bigger dialogue going on here? Because I think there's a lot to unpack. Yeah. I'd really like to start with just before Cass shows Dean the shadow of his wings, um, where he's like, I'm an angel of the Lord. And Dean's like, you're full of shit. <laughs> and he goes, this is your problem, Dean. You have no faith. And then he is like, well, here we go. I'm proving it. And I, I just think it's so fun whenever they bring up the idea of faith with Dean. And of course, we've got to then revisit season one, um, go all the way back in order to really talk about this. Because, you know, you can recall that in faith, like his miracle, the, the good thing that did happen to him, you know, wasn't actually a good thing. It robbed someone else's life entirely, like it killed someone else. Yeah. So it, of course, it makes sense, you know, for him to be like, well, not in my experience. No, good things don't happen. And and his life was saved by nefarious means on top of that. It wasn't just that it was, you know, robbing someone else of life. It was this other, like, manipulator with ill intentions who was doing it. But then you also have to consider, like, if God here, as Cass announces, has some, like, plan for Dean or, like, something he needs him to do, or, or that heaven needs him to do. They're kind of ambiguous on that on that note here. You know, then we have to revisit that question from 112 again about Dean's healing, if that was God's will, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's like those same <laughs> those same questions that we had in that episode are are back now because of the fact that he's been 
uh, literally resurrected and not just brought back from the brink of death. And it makes me bonkers. This is why this show makes me insane. (laughs) Yeah, I find that to be very interesting because, yeah, his past experiences with, yeah, there are these negative connotations. But then I have to also think now this is being presented to him as something good, as something deserving. But at the same time, he's like, you don't think you deserve this? Oh, by the way, we brought you back because we want you to do something for us. Right, right. Like like the implication there being that it wasn't because of some inherent goodness or um, special quality of Dean's, perhaps, but more that there's just something that he needs to go do for them right now. Yeah, right. like like it's not just a gift it's um something it's it's like a transaction almost yeah it's like a transaction and then also it's like not being presented like a transaction too it's like mm. kind of like gaslighting oh yeah like we brought you back because you're so deserving now do this thing for us you know i had never thought of it that way i love that jordan i love your mind <laughs> yeah that's a really good point and i like i've never thought about that either but i really like how it fits with like Dean's idea of love um, with his father because it was never just given because he was worthy it was very conditional and so I think like that's something that Dean is probably very aware of hopefully (laughs) and just kind of repeating that process like it's so sad right and and then to think about John's role or lack of role or presence in the episode Faith compared to the presence or lack of presence of God in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Where I'm looking, I'm seeing, I've connected the dots. Oh, if we're ready to talk about it, when Cass like slowly walks forward, gets like an inch from Dean's face and looks him in the eyes and is like, you don't think you deserve to be saved with like full curiosity. It's good. Oh, it's so good. I'm fucking howling at the moon, baby. That is that shit that I like. Oh my fucking lord. I I it's just like everything about it is so good. He's like unblinking. He's like half an inch away from his nose. He's like, wow, I can't believe it. You really hate yourself a lot. Like we have taken three seasons to get to know Dean and to understand his whole deal. Okay. And then Cass walks up, looks at this boy one time and is like, damn. <laughs> what's your problem (laughs) just like reads him instantly i am obsessed with this and like the little head tilt and everything it's everything about it it's like i was saying before like the curiosity and uh the naivete that he displays like you know like like people aren't just fully aware of their inherent worth and he's like what the fuck that's weird (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm, it just makes you really excited, too, because in these three seasons, we've seen Dean deal with these problems and how these problems have impacted his life. It's going to be exciting to see how the addition of Cass into this cast forces Dean to not deal with these problems anymore, but, like, confront them. I'm excited to see it. I'm very excited. Absolutely. Like, we love, we love to throw someone new into the mix. Shake it up. <laughs> I really do love, too, that, like, throughout this whole thing, like, Dean is so determined for this whole situation to just be bad. Like, yeah. like he is really very pessimistic. He's like, well, angels aren't real. And then Cass is like, well, here's some proof. And he's like, well, you're a shitty angel because you hurt my friend. And he's like, yeah, I'm sorry about that. 
And he's also like, you also blew out my eardrums and that sucked. And he's like, yeah, I'm sorry about that too. And he's like, well, also you're possessing some guy. And he's like, well, he asked me to. And then, you know, all culminating in that good things do happen, not in my experience. And I just think like every, every single bit of dialogue that they say to each other is so fucking intentional. Yeah. Uh, it just feels like nothing is wasted. Everything is just so on point. I'm very excited. That's all I have to say. I'm just I'm really excited to see how Cass is going to fit in this season. And I hope we get a lot of him in this season. And we're not going to get like four episodes without him in it a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. Did you guys want me to briefly talk about stabbing his penetration? Because I know I kind of like hyped that up in previous episodes. And I was like partially joking, but... Like, that's a real thing also. Yeah, lay it on us. Okay, so I'm not going to super duper get into it because, as I mentioned uh, earlier, I actually decided to just write an entire essay on gender and sexuality in this episode because I started to write about this stabbing here where Dean stabs Cass with the demon knife. And then I realized in order to like fully unpack that, I kind of had to talk about Pamela and Pamela's gender presentation and sexual power and everything that goes on with that. Um, And like different levels of transference and sublimation and all kinds of other stuff. Um, But basically the thing with stabbing is that it since the beginning of the slasher genre, which um, arguably starts with Psycho, or maybe earlier, but that's really the big one. Stabbing is specifically an image of like sexual power. Most slashers don't really have much like sexuality to them outside of that kind of uh, penetrative violence. You'll you'll notice. But um, like the th- <laughs> the thing is, the thing is that like these slasher characters, right? They're isolated from society by a controlling parent, usually, or some other controlling authoritative force in their life. They don't really have their own sense of identity, and they're not really allowed to seek out human connection outside of, you know, what they have with that parent or, you know, other small social unit. And largely in these movies, that's like, it's sexual, um, are the kinds of, you know, relationships they're not allowed to pursue. So like in the case of Psycho, you know, Norman Bates is like, oh, my mom takes over my body and stabs the objects of my sexual desire. And then you get like the fucking shower scene, right? So Dean, (laughs) I think you can see where I'm going with this. Dean is brought up on the outskirts of society by a controlling parent and is not allowed to form bonds or relationships outside of the small family unit. And he does commit violence on the things that he wants socially in his life. And usually it's emotional violence. We don't really see him, you know, like, for example, he doesn't like try and stab Cassie to death or whatever. And um, in a, I think it's actually in season five after school special, he pushes like his girlfriend away in like a flashback, you see. So there's like those kinds of things going on. But the stabbing in particular is is a huge trope in these movies. And you can see it in their choice of victims, but also like, have you guys seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2? I don't know which one I've seen. I've seen some of them. Do you know like the crotch scene where he's like jerking off? 
Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's like, right. That's like a really direct tying together of like the sexual and the violent, obviously. (laughs) But it's like, it's like pointing at it. It's like, just in case you didn't get it in slashers, stabbing people is about wanting to fuck them. (laughs) So I have to like, look at Dean almost sometimes as the sort of slasher villain inverted um because he for us he's the hero but he does you know he is kind of a murder hobo i'm not gonna lie mm-hmm. like <laughs> and um this whole scene is about trying to take some power back for himself like he has been the subject of unwanted sexual touch in this episode um which is conflated with Cass's touch and you know he he feels the power and control of this entity over him from being yanked out of hell sure but then the influence of him in person um i talk a little bit about like the the power of like look as an aspect of desire mostly through like a female lens to start because i'm talking about pamela but like, I think that does apply to Dean here, you know, it's like with Mina and Dracula, he's sort of like intensely afraid at first, but then under thrall. So there's that other sexual tension that is pulling at it too, that really makes me look at this particular stab and see it as uh, an attempt to reclaim um, sexual power. So yeah, that's that's what I have to say about that. <laughs> it's the short version. <laughs> I do have to say though, with stabbing being a direct metaphor for sexual attraction and the stabbing not work, does that mean that Dean is incompetent in the bedroom? I mean, that's something to consider, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially like he plays up this ladies man, but he's actually not. And he's not very good at stabbing. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I could I could spend some time thinking about how to interpret the fact that his uh, stab, his, his sexual stab is ineffective. <laughs> <laughs> I could, I could, you know, I could write about that a little bit if you want me to. I could try. I won't torture I you anymore. At that. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> oh God. But yeah, sorry for just talking at you. I know that probably sounds like a whole bunch of absolute bullshit, but I promise I am not crazy. I mean, look at any of the Scream movies. I mean, Sarah Mm -hmm. Michelle Gellar was stabbed right after. If you haven't seen Scream 2001 or whatever, I'm about to spoil it, but stabbed right after. (laughs) You know, um, she turned down, who we later find out is the killer. She was immediately killed. So no, it's, it's a thing. Yeah, no, it's a thing. (laughs) Do you have anything, any final thoughts about Cass and Dean here in this scene? Yeah, first off, make out. Yeah. Second off, I was watching this when I was taking my notes for this recording with my roommate in the room. And like, he watches a lot of this show with me. Just like, I have it on and, you know, if he's like hanging out, it's going to be in the living room. (laughs) 
we get to this scene and Cass is like up in Dean's face. And, you know, my roommate is very like in, in agreement with me essentially about like, you know, the sexual nature, the sexual tension of a lot of stuff going on in the show. And <laughs> so like, he's already like, okay, like whatever. But then he just like blurts out like, what the fuck? They don't have chapstick in heaven or something. Jesus. <laughs> and I was just like, oh my God, you just tapped into the vein of fandom. You just, you just <laughs> in. Like oh the God. fanfic that's like talking about the fact that Misha Collins needs fucking chapstick really bad. It drives um, me nuts. I think it's so funny. There's so many scenes where I'm just distracted. Like, please, just God puts them on him. At some point, like, they had to know that yeah. people were like, hey, you need some fucking chapstick. And then they were just, like, not moisturizing that man anyway. Disservice mm-hmm. to the world. It Maybe they were us- just, like, too intimidated by the idea of how, like, smoochable his mouth was going to look. They were like, we got to downplay that, like put some modifying foundation on that mouth or something. It did bring about the best cosplay. Two people like went together for like a con or something and one dressed as Cass and one dressed as Chapstick. And I think they just like ran at each other, like from different places for most of the convention. That's goofy as hell. I love that shit. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. One of my favorite things about the end of this episode, other than the dialogue and everything, is the fact that, like, (laughs) this episode just kind of functions backwards um, in terms of, like, the the pacing, I guess, than a lot of the other ones. Like, we were talking about the quietude of, like, the first third of the episode. This one is just, like, we're going to drop this insane bomb on you and then immediately cut to the credits. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, they're like, (laughs) God has fucking work for you to do. And that's like, and that's it. They're just like, boom, episode over. Like, that's really bold, especially coming off the, um, the tales of the way the season three finale ended, I think. No, I totally, I liked it. I thought it was a real, I thought it was fun. Like just boom, cut off. We're all sitting there like Tim Allen noises. (laughs) (laughs) The one other thing I want to talk about with this episode is some of the fashion. There's not a whole lot to discuss, but I do want to shout out a couple of things. Dean wears Sam's clothes most of the episode, which I think is very cute. That makes sense. Yeah. And they're like recognizably Sam's, like the corduroy jacket and a particular like blue plaid dress shirt and things like that. There's also, <laughs> there's also Ruby's like incognito outfits, like when she's pretending to not know who Dean and Bobby are. First, she's doing, they have her in the whole, you know, Ripley, I'm so vulnerable in my underwear mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of look. And then they put her in this like cutesy little blue gangum blouse thing, which is yeah. like incredibly not Ruby. And I just think it's so, it's so funny to me. Because, like, who would guess that that would be her um, other than you, Jordan, because you're an insane person. (laughs) Of course, they get her back into her regular wardrobe later. And the last thing, obviously, is Castiel in his iconic 
trench coat and backwards tie and the whole suit thing going on. I hope you like seeing that because that's basically all he ever wears. (laughs) That's fair. It's a good fit. A little different from the thick jackets that the boys wear. He gets kind of a more long, flowy Yeah. Well, and this is is trench coat 1.0, which honestly is like the king of the trench coats, in my opinion. It's long. It's billowy. It's dramatic. We love her. I feel like I was always at the thrift store at this period in time looking for a trench coat like that, but they were all already snatched up. Yep. By crazy fangirls. Yep. Always. (laughs) <laughs> I think we've talked about this before, but I would be like low-key terrified of you in a trench coat. Because <laughs> you're have... like seven feet tall. True. I have a trench coat, but it's like a, uh, oh gosh, what's that material that like they wear a lot in like Clueless? It's not tweed, is it? Like that kind of knitted. Oh, it's not it's like what... houndstooth. No, it's what they like product clothes are usually made out of, like that kind of style. Oh, but gotcha, it's like, gotcha, gotcha. It's like a maroon plaid and it doesn't go past my knees. So it's a little less. Yeah, I would probably be. In, yeah, I feel like I would look like Slender Man if I wore like a full four <laughs> leg. Especially with your skinny little stick legs coming out of there. True. Very true. No, up, out here looking like the half slinging slasher. The half slinging slasher. <laughs> nice. Fanfic rates, predictions, closing. Are you ready for the fanfic, Jasper? I am so ready for the fanfic, Jordan. This is a big episode, so I'm very curious to see what you chose. I picked two. My original idea was to find a birthday-related one, since September 18th is generally considered to be Cass's birthday um, in fandom. But, you know, nothing really inspired me except for a relatively recent smut fic, which I thought I would share with y'all because I haven't just straight up been like, dear listeners, enjoy some porn in quite a while. So my dear listeners, enjoy some porn. This one is called Castiel's Birthday Wish. It's by AO3 user TFW underscore Cass. The summary is... Castiel has been on earth and in the Winchester's life for 10 years. He wants to celebrate the occasion and there's only one person he wants to celebrate it with. You can see where this is going. I think, I think um, so. it is rated E the ship is Dastiel. The additional tags include birthday, birthday, sex, cake, smut, light bondage, grace, assisted sex, fluff, and first time. This is only like 4,500 words and it has about 2000 hits. Is from 2018, posted on September 18th. So E stands for even slices of birthday cake, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Nice. Well, there you go, everyone. If you want to see your green-eyed man and your little angel boy make little kisses at each other and probably do much, much more, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yes. I also have like a more serious one because I love alternate canon type stuff. This is one that I have bookmarked personally. It's called Romantic Theory by Two Street, Two Car. That's with the number two, um, not the word spelled out. The summary is Dean doesn't just remember hell, he remembers being raised from it too. This one is rated T, so much more, yeah, much more toned down in terms of like the sexual content going on. 
the ships are Castiel and Dean and Ruby and Sam. There's also Bobby in this uh, in this fic as well as those four. The additional tags are season four, episode one, Lazarus Rising, AU Canon Divergence. <laughs> and if you saw me writing about Supernatural, no, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> This was published just about a year ago. It has about 7,000 words and about 7,000 hits. It's really good. The whole idea is that Dean remembers Cass grabbing him. So instead of like the idea of this episode being like the mystery of who saved Dean from hell, it's Dean being obsessed with trying to get in touch with Cass throughout the story. So it's just a one shot. But I love it. I think it's so wild. It's really fun. No, that's a really interesting concept. I really enjoy that take. That's something I always wondered about. Like, because it's clear from this episode that Dean does remember hell. So, like, why wouldn't he remember getting pulled out of hell, you know? No, absolutely. I just like the idea of a shot of Dean in hell and just this, like, angelic little accountant comes through (laughs) and rips him out of it. Listen, that's just a vessel, Jordan. (laughs) But yeah, that's the fanfic. That's the fanfics for the day. I hope you enjoy them. Go read them. Leave kudos and say nice things to the authors. If you say mean things, I'll hunt you down. I think it's time to read the episode. I think we're ready. Are we ready? I'm for sure ready. Okay. I am. I am. I have a lot. So, okay. Here's the thing. (laughs) <laughs> I'll just I'll just bring it up now. But well, the tiniest thing, of course, is that the pacing of this episode is really good, except for just like the little bit of the middle with the demons. Yeah. Um, but it's like such a minor gripe. The episode was written with a lot of care and intention. And that is really the only thing I can ask for. Right. Point blank, period. So, <laughs> so that's why I'm going to give it five out of five. Ooh, let's think of something good. I haven't even thought about it. Damn. Five out of five Dean's wearing Sam's clothes. <laughs> what about you, Allie? Yeah, I think this episode's fantastic. I mean, it's one of the standout. <laughs> and I mean, I remember it, which says a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, you get the truly iconic scene of just Cass standing there with angel wings. Um, so I will also give this five out of five forgotten pie slices. Mm. Oh no, not the pie. (laughs) Not the pie. What about you, Jasper? The thing with this is that I hate busty Asian beauties and I hate that diner scene. So my brain is telling me to give this a 4.9 repetin out of five but my heart and literally the rest of all my other organs are saying that this is a five out of five angelic handprints and that's just what I gotta go with I think that's fair what's next Jordan bestow upon us your wisdom and insight so this is what I think is going to happen and if it doesn't isn't what happened I think this is going to be better than whatever happens in Supernatural if I'm being honest So, okay, we're making some parallels here. We have Sam. We have Dean. Dean has just been chosen. He has been personally selected by God to be sucked out of hell via vacuum. And I don't remember a vacuum. (laughs) It was a a vacuum of angel kisses. And then... 
<laughs> we have Sam, who's secretly practicing hell magic with Ruby going all Sith. So, and we also have parallels of Ruby and Castiel. We know Castiel has asked Dean that like God has a plan for him. And then on the same hand, we know Ruby has had something brewing for Sam this whole time. And we don't know exactly what that is. And I think there's a direct parallel of it. I think this is going to be the season where the boys are kind of at war with each other. I think what God is going to ask of Dean is to save the world. I think the demons, Lilith is trying to throw the world into an apocalypse, combine hell and earth. I think God wants Dean to stop this. And I think Ruby wants to use Sam to pretty much trick him into getting hell on earth. I mm-hmm. think both of the boys are going to want to save the earth. And I think they're going to think that their way is the only way to do it. So it's going to bring them in direct conflict with each other. At least I'm hoping. <laughs> so Jordan's I, like, I want to see them fight. <laughs> I wanna see, but here's the thing. I don't think they're going to fight because I think mm-hmm. God is going to be like, you have to kill Sam. And Ruby's going to be like, you have to stop Dean at any cost. Kind of the same thing mm-hmm, here. Mm-hmm. But they're not going to do it. But it would be cool if they did because... I don't know. I just would pay to see that fight. I think it'd be fun. Yeah. But they have so much Boiva we love. So much. (laughs) So yeah, I think that's kind of just the direction it's headed. I'm Jesus Christ Superstar versus uh, a villain from Powerpuff Girls. I don't know. (laughs) Um, What was, wasn't it him? Oh, I loved him. Yes. I honestly would love to see Sam with like the boa and like, <laughs> oh my gosh, the heels. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. Go full drag queen scene. <laughs> I want the only it. way to do it. I want it. <laughs> Someone draw that for me. Do it. We demand it. I do. I am demanding it right now. This is the type that I demand for the effort I put into this podcast. I love those predictions. I love how much you want them to fight. I think that's really chaotic. And I appreciate that about you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, um, writers, go back in time and listen to Jordan. Yes. Yeah. So they don't have to because I know I'm always correct all True. the time. Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Thanks for tuning in to On the Road with Supernatural. Our theme music was composed by Anthony Ployhar, and special thanks to Sophia London for our logo. If you're having fun, hit us up on Tumblr, Instagram, or Twitter at OTR Supernatural, or contact us by email at ontheroadwithsupernatural at gmail.com with any questions or feedback. That's all for today. See you next time in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Bye! Bye! Bye!